we are continuing a, a series that we've been doing for a little while now, and we're going to keep doing for a little while now, called On the Road with Jesus. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, open them to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We have been and are going to continue to be doing just what the title says, being on the road with Jesus. Wherever he's going, we're going to go. We're going through the gospel of Mark. We're looking at the life of Jesus, these stories, the parables that he told, the way that he lived his life. And honestly, you know, more than anything, we can try to follow a bunch of rules. We can try to to set up a bunch of uh, just traditions and try to do the very best we can, try to work really, really, really hard, try to stop all of our sinning, which obviously I'm cool with all of those things. But if we don't have Jesus, then we're missing the point. No matter what kind of rules you try to impose on yourself, if you're not walking alongside and experiencing the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ, then we are just really missing the point. If we have a really awesome uh, worship service and sing the best songs and do it just the right way, and if Aiden just kills it on transitions, which he did, but if we don't have Jesus, if we're not right there with him and learning from him, taking his yoke upon us and being near him, then what point is it? We're missing it. So that's where we want to be. We want to be on the road with Jesus. And we're going to get here into uh, a few stories from his life. We've got quite a bit to cover this morning. So I'm going to pray. We're going to get into it. Uh, ask the Lord, if you would, as I pray, you can go ahead and pray for me. Ask the Lord for grace in teaching and sharing this morning. I believe that God's got a word for every single one of us. So I want us to be ready to hear it and receive it. So let's pray. God, thank you for being here with us right now. Thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you for your patience with us. God, we could, we could go on and on about how thankful we are and how blessed we consider ourselves to just get to be near you, to get to receive from you. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place and this time right now. We welcome you uh, into our hearts, Lord, to receive what it is that you have to say. We want to be near Jesus, not just reading stories about him, not just talking about him, but God, we want to experience your closeness. We want to experience your presence in a powerful and profound way this morning. So open up our hearts for that. We ask that you would bring revelation. We ask that your word would be spoken directly to us and that we would receive, Lord. Thank you, God, that as you do that, you would conform us even more into the image of your dear son, that you would draw us close to you, make us like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Mark chapter 2, we, we're going to look at three distinct stories from Jesus' life here. And so there's, there's, like I said, quite a bit to cover Three stories, but they all really go together, and I think they're really important. Of course, I guess I can't say that there's a story in Jesus' life that isn't important. But uh, what I think is happening here that I think is important for us is that the serious, the serious level, if, you, if that is such a thing, I believe the serious level is kind of going up and being turned up a little bit uh, in Jesus' life. So what we just read, we talked about last week, Jesus calling Levi 
And, you know, we'd seen him call some disciples before. He did some healings and really spoke with authority, things that people were really paying attention to and that really, like, perked people's ears up. But, you know, any rabbi could call people. That's what rabbis did. And so, honestly, like, it was interesting, it was distinct, the fact that Jesus was choosing to call a tax collector, someone who was a sinner. Uh, But the fact of the matter is that any rabbi, they, they call people, they bring disciples to them. And so what's happening here now, we just saw that Jesus called Levi and he had healed somebody and done some really powerful things. But now Jesus is going to start to make some specific claims about himself, about who he is, not just any old rabbi that is going to perk some people's ears up and it's going to bring some enemies. It's going to cause some conflict. How many of y'all like conflict a whole lot? Conflict fans in the house? Not me, but some people really love it. Uh-huh, okay, I wanted to see that hand. No. Uh, but some people really thrive on conflict. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of it. But you know what? Sometimes conflict comes whenever the truth is spoken. Uh, because there are some people who don't like the truth and don't want the truth and uh, don't like the light and want to live in darkness. And so whenever the light comes to be shown, then, you know, conflict happens. The dark doesn't appreciate it. But you know what? Jesus' light outshines the darkness, uh, which is a beautiful thing. So Jesus is making some specific claims about himself here that he's not just any old rabbi and it's going to ruffle some feathers. And honestly, I'll tell you this. My hope is that it would ruffle our feathers just a little bit as well this morning. I want our our feathers to be ruffled. I want our feathers to be ruffled just a little bit uh, because we're, we're going to look at Jesus' interaction with a specific group called the Pharisees. They were religious uh, people here in his time. And it's really easy to see Pharisee and think, bad guy, you're bad. You, you know, you're not like Jesus, don't like you. But the, the fact of the matter was that the Pharisees in Jesus' time, they were the church people. They were the ones who were trying to do things right, trying to live a, a righteous life. And of course, we see they missed the point. But more than seeing Pharisee bad guy, I want us to see Pharisee, where is that in my heart? And ask Jesus to ruffle those feathers a little bit and to direct us to his path. So anyway, how about we just get into the stories here? The first story is uh, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 18. I'm going to do a little bit of paraphrasing just for the sake of getting through all three of these things together. Uh, But what happens in this first story is that Jesus is asked, it doesn't specifically say that it's by the Pharisees, but he's asked, why do John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples, why do they fast, but you and your disciples or your disciples, why do you not fast? Um, so fasting was, was and honestly is a part of religious tradition, a, a way that we can uh, say no to our own desires, our own flesh, and say yes to the Lord, try to hear him more clearly. You know, God's always speaking, but sometimes our own stuff gets in the way of us listening, right? So fasting, a lot of times it specifically has to do with food, but you can fast a variety of different things. It's literally just saying no to something that isn't necessarily a sin. It's not a sin to eat. Thank you, Jesus. It's saying no to things that is not necessarily a sin, but it's for the sake of just wanting to listen, wanting to Tune in your ears to hear him a little bit. 
a little bit more clearly anyway, uh, and to just say no to your desires, yes to the Lord. So they asked him, why, why don't your disciples fast? This is a good thing. And Jesus said to them, this is in verse 19, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in that day. I want this to be said clearly. Uh, this is not a scripture that says that we don't fast, right? He said they don't, they're not fasting because the bridegroom is with them. So he's calling himself, Jesus is saying, I'm the bridegroom. This is a claim that Jesus is making about himself that is a little bit more than just your everyday rabbi, right? He, a little bit more than just your everyday run-of-the-mill teacher of the word in his day and age. He's saying, I'm the bridegroom. I am the one that this whole party is about. I'm the one that this story is talking about. I'm, I'm the reason why you're here. I'm the reason why we're here. I'm the bridegroom. The party's here. And whenever the party is here, whenever the bridegroom is here, people don't fast. But again, this is not a story saying don't fast. This is a story saying that Jesus is the bridegroom because he said a day will come again when the bridegroom will be taken from them and they'll fast in that day. So he's not speaking against fasting, but he's speaking more about who he is, what kind of uh, thing they need to be seeing here. So he said, I'm the bridegroom. I'm the one that this whole thing is about. So they'll fast in that day when I'm taken from them. Verse 21, he says, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. So here, to me, I just, being honest with you, it doesn't seem that drastically clear whenever they say, why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus says, well, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. The wineskin will burst and you lose both the wineskin and the wine. And talking about an unshrunk piece of cloth patching up an old cloth. I mean, it's not to me. I'm sure if I was there walking, lived in that culture, always with I'm sure it would make a little bit more sense. But honestly, to me, it's a little bit unclear just at first glance. Like, what is Jesus talking about here? And honestly, I think there's a lot of things that we can gain from this. But one thing that I really want to highlight, Jesus, in talking about himself as the bridegroom, he said, I'm the one that the story is about. I'm the, I'm the party. So, was that me? I don't know. I don't want that to be me. But he said, I'm, I'm the party. I'm the bridegroom. I'm the one that this is about. So they're not going to be fasting while I'm here. And then he starts to talk about this unshrunk cloth on a, uh, like a new cloth on an old garment and how it'll just mess things up if you try to sew those things together. And wine into white skins. I don't know how many people are making wine right now. I, I'm not personally a winemaker. If I was, I don't think I would be using old wine skins. So the... The example is a little bit lost on me, but from what I hear is that these wineskins would be able to uh, like 
contract a little bit and expand as the wine is fermenting. And if you tried to do new wine in an old one of those, there would be no room for expanding and it would just burst and you would lose everything. And so there needs to be a new vessel to be able to contain this new wine and this new thing that is happening. And can I get, you know, I'm not even going to ask for an amen. I'll just amen myself. But when Jesus comes, something new is happening. Jesus, again, he, he's a teacher. He's calling people to him, but he's not just any old teacher. You know, a lot of people can say things about Jesus like, well, he's a really great, he had wonderful philosophies and he had great moral teachings. And I think he lived a really good life. Well, guess what? That's not what Jesus said about himself. He didn't say, hey, I'm a really good teacher. He said, I, he's going to say, I'm the son of God. I'm the son of man. I'm the, and here he's saying, I'm the bridegroom. I'm the I'm the point of the story. I'm the one that this whole thing is about. And so here, he's saying, if you're going to receive from me, if you're going to see what I'm doing, this old way of looking at things is just not going to do. So it's not like, hey, okay, Jesus, yeah, you're a really good teacher, so you come teach us, and we'll keep our whole, our, our pre-existing framework for seeing things. I'm going to see things the exact way that I always did, but I'm just going to take Jesus and I'm going to incorporate him into how I see things already. Okay, yeah, Jesus, I'm going, to, I'm going to take you and I'm going to let you speak to me, but Jesus, it has to be within a conservative Republican United States framework. Sorry, I went too far there. But Jesus, I'll, I'll, I'll take you and, and I'll receive from what you have to say, but, but make sure that it's liberal and Democrat, okay? We'll go both ways. Make sure that it's filtered through this lens before you start to talk to me. Yes, I'll, Jesus, I, I want you to speak to me, but it's got to be non-denominational before you can, it's got to be Baptist, it, whatever. We can all step on whatever toes we want to, but what I'm trying to say is, God, yes, speak to me, but let it be done in my way that I've already developed. And don't, don't challenge my own thoughts first. Jesus is saying, no, I've got new wine. I've got something new. I've got something fresh that I want to give you. And if you're going to receive from this, you're going to need a, a, an entirely new vessel to contain it. An entirely new vessel to contain it. And that's exactly, precisely what Jesus came to do. He came to remove a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh that we could be a vessel that can contain and hold and pour out the presence of the living God. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so to be able to do that, we need a new perspective. We need a new heart. We need a new framework, a new way of doing things. That's Jesus's way, not our own way. And so even in saying this, yes, fasting is a good and beautiful thing. But this mindset that is, okay, we always fast. You know, nowadays we do it commonly around Lent. But, uh, you know, even with them, around major festivals, around major events and points in Israel's history where, you know, bad things had happened, they would fast around those specific days. And so if you come to it with this mindset of, okay, we have to do it this way. This is how God's moved in the past. It has to be exactly like this. And just so Jesus is saying, listen, fasting, there'll be a time for that for my disciples, but you need to have an entirely fresh new way of looking at me. You have to look at me in, in a new way. And so again, it's easy. Uh, it's easy to look at them and say, yeah, they needed to hear that from Jesus. And I've, and I've made Jesus Lord of my life, so I've, I've done this with Jesus too, so I'm good. Well, honestly, I really want us to challenge ourselves. You can, we come to church to be challenged a little bit, right? 
I'm not here to just have nice things said about myself and I'm all great. Well, to be challenged a little bit, I would want to come to this story and ask Jesus, God, where do I need a new perspective? Jesus, in what area of my life do you want to pour new wine into me? Something that's new and fresh and invigorating. And where am I holding you back by trying to do it with an old wineskin? Jesus, how do you want to do something new in my life and I'm holding you back? What perspective, what way of doing things, what old tradition am I just so tied to and so grasping my fingers around that I can't allow you to do something new and fresh in my life? Thank you, Jesus. God wants to do something new and fresh in your life. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, whatever your story is this morning, God wants to do something new in you. God wants to do something new in you. He wants to use you, maybe in a new way that you haven't experienced before. And so where, where, God, am I allowing an old way of doing things, an old perspective to get in the way of what you're trying to do? Now, here's the thing. That doesn't mean we scrap the old. doesn't necessarily we're just wholesale. Okay, if I've ever heard it before, I don't want to hear it again. Or if it has anything, if fasting, no. Whatever it is. Jesus, again, he's still talking about wineskins. He's saying, hey, yes, you need a container for what I'm giving you. You need some kind of framework to be able to hold this. But he's just saying it needs to be new and fresh and you need to have a new perspective around it. He, Jesus didn't want the old cloth to be torn up just as much as he doesn't want the new cloth to be torn. He's saying you'll lose the whole garment that way, but it's just got to be fresh. Jesus also said about the law, he said that not one iota, not one dot is going to pass away from this thing. I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. And so again, but for these people here and for us now, Jesus fulfilling that law, fulfilling his desires even from his word requires us to be open to a new way of seeing what Jesus is trying to do in our lives, to perceive it, to see what's going on. So another story where now the, the, the uh, serious level is getting turned up a little bit more in this next story. Um, verse 23. So it's continuing here. Verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees, now the Pharisees specifically, were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So we're going to pause here for a second. Just like the previous story was not saying fasting is bad, this story is not saying Sabbath is bad. I'm just going to go on a quick little blurb and tangent and say Sabbath is one of those things that I think we need a little bit more of in our society and in our lives personally. We need God's beautiful thing that he created. He wove this into the fabric of creation. God, whenever he was making everything that we see, he worked for six days, and on the seventh, he rested. Not because God, I mean, I don't imagine that God gets like wildly tired. But it's not for that. But even just to show, even in creation, even in how he does things, that it is good to rest. It is good to step back. It is good to cease. It is good to stop. It's good to take a break. It's good to enjoy 
what you've worked on. Man, so many people work their entire lives really, really hard and do really, really good and big things, and they didn't enjoy it for a second. Didn't get to just appreciate the work that they were able to put their hands to and what came out of it. Didn't stop to sit and just appreciate, God, thank you for this work that you've put my hands to, and thank you for the, the product that it's bringing. And God did that. He, he stopped and delighted in it. And then God's people, they were brought into slavery, and they worked nonstop for years and years and years and years. All they knew was work. All they knew was make more bricks. Here's not as much straw, but keep producing more. Keep doing more. Y'all, I know that uh, we don't have anybody here in this building. At least I sure hope so, that we don't have anybody here in this building that's like an actual slave right now. But how many people just become slaves to, I've got the next thing. I've got to get the next thing done. Got to meet rent. Got to, and that his, all of his people were caught up in that. And he instituted in the Ten Commandments. Uh, Mark was just talking to me the other day. We, you know, we take all the other ten seriously, but this one that's actually got like a whole paragraph about it that's really big in the Ten Commandments about Sabbath, we're like, hmm. So Sabbath is good. Jesus is not talking about Sabbath. But here's the thing. These Pharisees, they were trying to take the Sabbath and I'm telling you, we need to relate to the Pharisees, okay? Don't see Pharisee bad. See, Pharisee, kind of me. God help me. Pharisees, they wanted to do right by God's command to abide by the Sabbath. So, But here's what they started to do. Instead of saying, okay, yes, we're going to honor this Lord's Day. We're going to keep it holy. We're not going to work. We're going to rest. They started to make laws around it that were their own traditions, their own ideas that were designed to help people follow the Sabbath. So like they would have a tradition, like the Pharisees would say things like, you're only allowed to do make one stitch on the Sabbath. What you would try to make out of one stitch, I have no idea. I don't see the point regardless. But they, they had that. That's not in here. You're not going to find that in the actual law. But they had developed this tradition with the desire to help people do it right. That's the goal. But they would make this tradition of you're only, you can do one stitch on the Sabbath. There are honestly a, a whole variety, a slew of other things that kind of seem weird, but th- that was their goal. That was what they're trying to do. But they were losing the heart of it. They were losing the purpose of what God designed this thing for. And so in an effort to do what God tells us to do, and this thing that God designed so that we would take delight so that we would enjoy his creation, so we would enjoy and be thankful and play and have fun in the world that he's created around us. In an effort to abide by that commandment, they started making these things that were so restrictive that it's like nobody could have fun. Nobody could. You don't have time to delight in the Sabbath because you're too busy thinking, well, I can't pick a piece of grain out of a field to eat. So they're missing the point. I'm sure we all have stories about this. I'll tell a story about someone else because, you know, it's easier to do that. But I had these neighbors growing up. I had neighbors growing up that uh, their parents, in an effort and in a desire to, like, help them be kind and nice, they had certain words that they were not allowed to say to each other. So, like, they couldn't say, shut up. I'm sorry that I just said that. But... They weren't allowed to say shut up as they were growing up. 
the goal, the desire is, you know, you need to use nice words with people, right? But these Pharisees that I grew up with, my neighbors, they would, in fits of rage and anger, tell their siblings to shush the crap up. (laughs) Because I guess they could say that word. But that's the... and I know, that, I know that sounds silly, I know that sounds crazy, but that's exactly what we're trying to get at. It's like, there's this heart, there's this desire of what God's trying to accomplish with the Word. And honestly, it's like, okay, yeah, 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 I'm not going to do that, not going to do that, not going to do that. But in the meantime, and along the way, they're missing the point entirely. It's easy to say that about my neighbors, but I'm telling you, y'all, we do the same kind of stuff. We do the same kind of stuff. And so Jesus here, again, he said, I'm the bridegroom. I'm the one that this is all about. So listen to me. And he tells this story. This is so cool. So they're saying, your disciples are not doing what's lawful on the Sabbath. What they're really saying is, your disciples are not doing what we say is lawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus, oh man, do y'all know that he has the perfect ways of answering things? That he just is wisdom lived out. So he says to them in verse 25, he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus tells the story again. Have you never read this? Of course, knowing that they've read it. These, again, these were righteous people. They were trying. They were doing their best. They were going through the law, trying to abide by it. They knew the story. So he's like, have you never read this? Uh, The fact of the matter is, I didn't know what he was talking about whenever he said that. This, to me, seems like a deep track from the Old Testament. I don't know how familiar y'all are with Abiathar, the high priest, and David eating the bread of the presence. Maybe you're holier than me. But I didn't necessarily, I've read through it before, but it's not a story that has stuck out to me. So I was like, okay, Jesus is referencing this. I'm going to go back and read this story a little bit. Because again, he's calling this up to their mind and to their imagination. And so what's going on in this story that he's talking about that he might be bringing to this moment with the Pharisees? So I go back to this story. Um, and again, I read through it and I'm like, this is not something I remember, not something I recall uh, immediately. But so what happened here, David, if you want the reference, I would encourage you to do it. I'm going to go through the story a little bit. But in 1 Samuel uh, chapters 21 and 22, you can kind of see what's going on here. David, what Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about was a time when David was on the run from King Saul. King Saul was trying to kill him. David was like a refugee or whatever, like he was trying to get away. And so he came to this town that had a bunch of priests in it. He came to this town that had a bunch of priests in it. And he went to the priests and he said, he actually lied to them and said, I'm on a journey from King Saul and me and my men are weary. We need something. Give us whatever you have to eat. All that he had to eat was this bread of the presence that could only be eaten by the priests But he said, you know what, if you and your men, if you've been like keeping yourself holy and clean, then I'll I'll let you eat this. And David was very appreciative. He and his men were able to eat. But there was, it said that there was a person there. I'll actually, let's go back and read it. So 1 Samuel uh, chapter 21 um, in verse 7. So this had just happened between uh, David and, and the priest. The priest's name was actually Ahimelech, Ahimelech. Uh, whose son was Abiathar that Jesus references. I know we're getting into the woods here, but 
Verse 7, now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. It says that in verse 7. And from there, it doesn't necessarily say much more. They go on, the priest blesses David in other ways. But there was a guy there who was the chief of uh, Saul's herdsmen named Doeg the Edomite who happened to be there and happened to see whenever this scandalous little thing happened where David and his men ate the bread that they weren't supposed to eat, but they were weary, they were tired, and this priest blessed them in that way. So Doeg the Edomite sees what happens. This is what happens in, verse, in chapter 22. Chapter 22, Saul is very upset. He's like, David is on the run. Nobody's telling me anything about this. Do y'all all love David more than me? Whatever. He's upset. So Doeg the Edomite is there and he raises his hand. It doesn't say that in the text necessarily. But he's like, hey, I saw David, the son of Jesse. I saw him with this priest and he gave him... Uh, the bread of the presence, he blessed him and all that. And it gets this guy in deep trouble. So Saul goes, he assembles not only him, but all the other priests in that town in front of him. And he says, hey, why are you helping David, my enemy? The guy says, I didn't know David was your enemy. David's your son-in-law. You married your daughter off to him. Like he's blessed. Like all I could see is that he's in good standing with you. I didn't know this. So why are you coming against me? And then Saul, King Saul orders the guards who brought them, orders the guards to kill that priest. Orders them to kill him. And you know what? They said no. They're like, no, we're not going to do this. But you know who else was present that day that said, yeah, I'll kill the priest. Doeg the Edomite. Doeg the Edomite, the one who was right there, who, who had watched him bless David in his time of need, he comes and he saw, he re realized that this guy did not have any ill will in his heart towards Saul. He was just doing what he was told, what he thought was right and good. Well, Doeg the Edomite says, yeah, I'll kill him. And if you go, it's pretty messed up, honestly. He, so he kills him. He kills 85 other priests from that town. And then it says, you know what? For dramatic effect, let's just tell what it says, says. So 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22, uh, verse 18. Then the king said to Doag, you turn and strike the priests. And Doag the Edomite turned and struck down the priests. And he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, Ox, donkey, and sheep he put to the sword. Doeg the Edomite did that. This person who was there present, who saw David eat of the bread of the presence from this priest who was blessing him. And David calls that story into the picture whenever the Pharisees say, why are your disciples eating grain on the Sabbath? Two comparisons that I think Jesus is bringing right there to them is one, comparing himself to King David, which was a big deal. Because that means like, okay, you're 
talking like you're the Messiah. You're talking like you're more than just a rabbi. You're like the one in the line of King David who is going to save Israel like God has promised. That's a big statement to make. But not only that, I think he's drawing a pretty clear comparison to this other witness back in David's time whenever David received of the bread of the presence and now here they are eating grain on the Sabbath. He said, yeah, there was a witness there that was up to no good. There was a witness there that in an attempt to do the right thing, to to do right by the king, to uphold the status quo, to do everything just by the book and right above board, who ended up killing an entire town, men, women, children, infants, ox, donkeys, sheep, everybody. God forbid. And so he's drawn a pretty clear comparison even to the Pharisees, the religious people who they're in the attempt to do the right thing with the goal of trying to live a righteous life. But here's the bad part, is that it, is, it ends up being a self-righteous life. Whenever you try to achieve and accomplish what God's picture of righteousness is on your own, it's going to amount to nothing. It's going to be frustrating. It's going to just keep running you ragged, and it's going to hurt yourself. And it's going to hurt others. Because this attempt to be righteous by our own self and striving becomes like a cancer, a pride in us to think, I can do this on my own. I can be righteous enough. I can be holy enough. I'm going to try really hard. All the things that it tells me in the Bible, I'm going to do that and even more. And I'm going to hold myself to a higher standard. And because I can do all those things, that's what's going to make God appreciate me. That's what's going to make God bless me. That's what's going to make God love me. We don't say it in those terms necessarily because that sounds bad, but sometimes we let those kinds of thoughts guide our behavior. Whether we're saying it or not, I'm going to, I, I'm going to be in church this Sunday. I'm thankful that everybody's here. Uh, let me just say that first and foremost. But I'm going to be at church this Sunday. I've heard people tell me that a lot. Being a pastor, you meet someone, hey, I'm a pastor. Oh, I've been trying to get back to church. It's a good goal. I, I like it. But I'm going to be in church this Sunday. If that is, I'm going to be in church this Sunday because that's my religious duty and that's my thing that I need to do. And if I'm in church every single Sunday for 52 weeks out of the year, then God's going to like me and the pastor's going to like me and my life's going to be blessed because I made it to church every Sunday. Again, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> glad I'm here. But if that's the goal, if that's the heart, that's, a, that's a, just a, going to end up being a self-righteous cycle that leads to burnout, that leads to being upset with yourself. Well, why am I always doing this? Well, I'll never have anything, any time on a Sunday like I should have. And you get mad at other people. Well, why are they making money out there? And they're not in church on Sunday. So, oh. And then mad at God. God, why are you blessing this? The list can go. But listen, if your desire for being here on a Sunday, again, like I said, I'm glad you're here on a Sunday. If your desire for being here on a Sunday is because you love God and you want to be around God's people and you want to worship him, you want to sing, you want to praise, you want to hear, you want to receive, you believe that God can speak to you in powerful ways and interact with you, if that's your motivation for being here on a Sunday, good, great. But listen, that's not a self-righteous thing. That's not something that you're saying, I am going to be good enough because I am doing this. Again, these, these things, they're, they're part of the law, but God designed the law to usher us to him. He, he wanted to change our hearts, to bring us close. Again, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. So this keeping Sabbath, God wanted people to keep the Sabbath. 
but not to pat themselves on the back for how good they are. I did it. I did it. I only sewed one stitch today. That wasn't the point. The point is to be able to stop long enough to hear what God is saying to them, to delight in the beauty of God's creation, just like he designed it to be in the first place. So, again, he's calling these Pharisees out for being like Doeg the Edomite. Because again, it's going to kill yourself, this cancerous pride of self-righteousness. And it's really going to get in the way of other people following Jesus. Because if we're walking around all the time, if we're just Sabbath police, and hey, I find it so hard as a pastor to say, I've missed you on a Sunday. Because I genuinely miss people and want to see them. But there's so much baggage about, well, aren't you in church? So it's so hard. Sorry about that noise. It's so hard to actually communicate that to someone. Uh, that you genuinely miss them. But anyway, this is what he wanted them to get. And he said to them, this is beautiful, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord even of the Sabbath. Last story, I know that we're, we're nearing the end here. Last story, so Jesus makes this claim, Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around. And I, Jesus, am Lord of the Sabbath. So now in this next story, he proves it. And it gets people upset. Verse uh, Mark 3. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus. By this time, they knew that Jesus was a healer. So they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Yes, amen, praise God. How confusing is verse 6 here? The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. How much can you miss the point? A man's hand, withered hand, restored, made whole. And you get so upset at this guy for doing it that you're ready to destroy him. That you're going to go team up with your enemy. The Pharisees and the Herodians were not friends. But now they had a common enemy in Jesus. And they went to him to say, let's destroy this guy. How ridiculous. But again, may we not look at the Pharisees and say, look at them, bad them. Let's look in our own hearts. What are we missing out on? Because we're, we've got this old wineskin old way of doing things that's just like, well, this is how God's moved in the past and this is the only way I can see it happening. And we're not open to God doing something new and fresh. If we get so caught up in that, what are we going to miss? What are we going to miss? Jesus was hated for healing a man's hand on the Sabbath. How much work was that? Right? They're like the work police. He said, stretch out your hand. That's not a lot of work. But here they are ready to destroy him for this. That is radically missing the point. So here's the deal. What I want for us is we're following Jesus. May we not miss the point. 
We might get it wrong. We might do things wrong sometimes. We might mess up. We might fail. We might fall. That's why God gives us repentance. We can repent, turn back, change, follow Jesus some more. But may we never miss the point thinking that our own way of doing things, our own righteousness, our own traditions that we've built up are so important that they have to be kept over listening to Jesus and seeing what he has to do. Jesus, where have I missed the point? Jesus, where have I missed the point? I hope that's a prayer for us this morning. King David, I need to stop preaching. King David, Psalm 139, at the very end, he says, try me, know my heart, search me, know my thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus, where am I missing the point? Reveal it to me where I don't know that it's like that. Where have I missed the point? And Jesus, direct my heart to you by your grace. May we come to him. I, I want to ask the ministry teams to come forward. If you have any need for anything this morning, any prayer, uh, prayer request that you have, come and receive prayer. And I pray, no matter what, whatever the need is, I pray that absolutely every single one of us, that we would search our hearts, that we would ask God to search our hearts and to reveal to us if there's anything in there that needs to go. We would ask him to search us and see where we're missing the point, where we're valuing our own way of doing things, our own righteousness, our own striving over the grace and goodness of Jesus. Who's the bridegroom with us, ready to celebrate with us and point us to him? Let's pray. God, we love you. We want more of you, and we're looking to you this morning. Jesus, thank you that you are the bridegroom. Thank you that you're Lord of the Sabbath. Thank you that you're Lord of all of the things that we would try to do to get closer to you. Thank you, God, that you are our Sabbath rest. That you became that for us so that we could delight in you and delight in the beauty of being close to you. We ask that you would search our hearts this morning. And if there's anything in us that is like a Pharisee, maybe with a good intention, but just missing the point. Help us to gain the point and draw close to you by your grace. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And we ask you, Lord, to direct each and every one of our hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. We thank you for your steadfastness. In Jesus' name, amen.